Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2014. We start by speaking with Sister Marie Paul Curley about the Anima Christi prayer, a prayer that she says is the sure way to intimacy with Christ. And John Robinson of the St. Paul's Choir School tells us about the boys' first album, Christmas in Harvard Square. In our second half hour, Carl Atu of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association gives us an update of the situation in Syria and Iraq, and singer-songwriter Rebecca Rubion has a new Christmas album. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook and Twitter. We begin now with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Okay, how many of you are familiar with this prayer? Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from you. From the malignant enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me and bid me come to you that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. That's the Anima Christi, or the Soul of Christ prayer. Many of us learned that we were supposed to say it after receiving communion. But this is more than just a nice prayer. It's a prayer that invites us to familiarity with Jesus. And to tell us more, we are joined by our very own and dear Sister Marie Paul Curley. Um, She's just written a book, The Soul of Christ, Meditations on a Timeless Prayer. Sister, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Deacon Pedro. It's nice. We don't always get to start the segment with a prayer, so that was special. What do you mean familiarity, familiarity with Jesus? You know, this is a great prayer to kind of draw you in, um, to talking really directly to Jesus in a very personal way. Like, really, you know, when we think about our Catholic faith, sometimes we think about a system of truths or the creed or living a moral life, and those are all really important. Mm-hmm. But the essence of Christianity is encountering Jesus Christ. It's having a relationship with the Lord. And so I love this prayer because it starts off with soul of Christ. Yeah. And how can you be more direct, more yeah. familiar than speaking directly soul to soul? You know, um, when I was... Um, uh, when after I entered the convent and I used to go home, you know, every year for vacation, and it was always painful to leave my family at the end of my visits. Mm-hmm. You know, my my dad, who who is really a very stern man, um, in many ways, like his expression was always very serious, and you know, he 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 had this uh, uh, this Irish temper, and you know, a very a very strong personality, and yet, you know, um, when I was leaving to say, you know, when I'd go up to say goodbye to him, he'd look at me with his eyes just filled with with love and this gaze that like so touched me so deeply and uh, you know it was like I was encountering my dad's soul in a very special way like he didn't put it into words I don't know if my dad actually ever said the words I love you to me Hmm. but he said it all with that gaze of love and it was like his soul speaking right to my soul and so when I think of starting this prayer with saying soul of Christ you, you know we're going really directly here we're going right to Jesus love for us uh, Jesus becoming, uh, you know, taking on human nature for us. Wow, it's 
Okay, so I've just kind of, <laughs> I've gone into a theological treatise on you, you familiarity have, no, with but Christ, you, but it's such a personal way of addressing Jesus. It, you've, it, it's, it's fascinating because can you, I mean, can we have an intimate conversation? Because it's an intimate conversation. But can you have an intimate conversation like that if you're not already intimate with someone? Or do you think that this prayer brings us into intimacy? Or can I find intimacy even if I'm not already intimate by saying this prayer? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think think that the more you... if, if, If we don't have necessarily, and I know a lot of people who don't, um, Mm -hmm. sadly, who are, you know, they go to Mass every Sunday, but they don't have this warm, personal, familiar, or intimate relationship with Christ, I think praying this prayer can start to transform that. It it can bring us in, it can remind us that Jesus, you know, Jesus wants to be so close to us that he takes on the appearance of bread and wine so that we can receive him physically. There is no greater intimacy than receiving communion. You know, that, that is like the ultimate, you yeah. know, intimacy as, as human beings. What else? That is so beautiful, so intimate. So uh, it's, yeah, I think this prayer can draw us into it, and, and then we can develop it, you know, in our other prayer, our other times of prayer, or maybe right. we can find ourselves. Sometimes I just pick one petition from the prayer, and I just pray that throughout the day and right. just carry it with me. Right. You just answered my next question without me even asking it, because I was going to ask you. Now, this is a prayer that I did not learn, and I did not learn that I was supposed to say it after communion. Um, ah. That's something that I've learned recently, and, and I've heard you say that this book is really about the Eucharist, and I was going to ask you why, and, but I guess you just told me, because the Eucharist is the most intimate Maybe not the most intimate, but uh, would you say it is the most intimate uh, encounter, encountering of Christ, maybe? I would, I, you know, I would guess that as human beings here on Earth, um, restricted to time and space and not really touching eternity, yes. per se, I would say that the Eucharist is, in an ideal kind of way, I would say the Eucharist would would mm-hmm. have to be the most intimate way that we can encounter Christ, because we encounter Him physically and spiritually, and and, right. and in every aspect. I mean, he's there, so you know, soul and body, yes. and God and man um, there with us. So that would be my. I bet you know, I I am not a doctor in theology. So, <laughs> no, um, I, but that's know, most uh, people I, are not. Would, yeah. <laughs> most people are not, and I, and I think <laughs> this is this is comforting. Um, do you? People, a lot of people struggle with connecting mass with their daily life. Would you say that your book, and I want to get to the book, um, it's about the prayer, it's about the Eucharist, but it's ultimately about mass? It's ultimately about growing in our relationship with Christ by um, meditating on, on Jesus and especially on his presence in the Eucharist. So it's a combination of um, you know, it's 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 focusing on our relationship with Christ and the spiritual life, and 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 how to do that in everyday life. Mm-hmm. But it's also very much bringing that um, growth into our, our Eucharistic prayer. So yeah, um, when we, you know, any time um, that we're praying before, you, you know, before Jesus in the Eucharist, or we go to Mass, um, there's that possibility of bringing the Mass with us into mm-hmm. daily life, mm-hmm. um, and. I think one of the beauties of this book is that it's coming out of my own personal experience of connecting, you know, the Mass and, and what that means for me to, to, to... I go to Mass daily, mm-hmm. and what that means for living that in my daily life. Like, how do I bring 
my time with Jesus, whether it's the Mass or Eucharistic Adoration or, you know, just a brief time of prayer, how do I bring that into daily life? How does it change me so that I am more of a, of a person who is a servant, so that I am more of a person who is strengthened by, you know, by Christ's grace and Christ's light? Um, I think sometimes we, you know, we just take the Eucharist for granted. My, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I, I have a, a, I open with a, a little story. I open the book with a little story about uh, a little boy who's going to receive his first communion, yeah. and yes. he's, you know, he's thinking that uh, that the news cameras should be there at his first communion, mm. and he's like, you know, he's asking his godmother, "Are they going to be there?" And and she's kind of clueless, and she's like, well, why would the news cameras be there? Why would you be on the TV news for receiving your first communion? And he says, because this is the biggest moment of my life until I get married. This is yeah. this is huge. Jesus is coming to me in Holy Communion. And, you know, he was right. If we allow our relationship with, if we really go deep in our encounter with Christ, then we're changed for the better. Mm-hmm. We're changed very deeply. And so, yeah, it's not just a matter of, you know, praying prayers through the day. I don't mean, I mean, that's wonderful if you can do that. Um, but I don't know about you, but I tend to get very involved in what I'm doing. But it's, yes. it's that spirit of uniting that with Jesus. And it's the spirit of wanting to be of service that Jesus lives, you know, that Jesus reveals to us in the Eucharist right. um, that we bring into our daily life. Right. So, yeah, um, you've organized the book. It, the, the prayer is not a long prayer. It has, what, 10, 11 lines. Have you organized each, is it each chapter per line to help people yeah, go deeper? Yeah, pretty much. I, I kind of cheated at one point when I had too much material, <laughs> and I slid the <laughs> magicians around a little bit. But mostly it's one line gets a chapter, and uh, the first part of the chapter is like a phrase-by-phrase meditation on the prayer because it's so rich and beautiful. And right. it's, you know, it's recommended by so many saints to say this prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part is really connecting that prayer and this, that line, that theme of that line, with a scriptural passage and then bringing it into an hour of adoration. So okay. it's a book to reflect with and also to pray with. You can, okay. you can do either or both. Okay, good. And so obviously it's a book for anybody. If you know how to read, you can read this book and you can pray with it. That's, that's your hope for this book. Yeah, and to, and to let, um, to help people, like, let Jesus' love for us, especially his Eucharistic love, transform us, to know that we're loved and, and, and to allow that to change us so that we don't have to be afraid. We can be free um, in, in loving and serving others in our daily life. Amen. What a... What a good, uh, <laughs> a good mission. <laughs> um, thank you for writing the book, Sister. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Deacon Pedro. Sister Marie Paul Curley is a member of the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul. Her latest book, Soul of Christ, Meditations on a Timeless Prayer, is published by Pauline Books and Media. You can learn more at pauline.org. You can also read Sister Marie Paul's blog at windows2thesoul.wordpress.com, and you can listen to her month- monthly film review column on this program. Here now are the boys of St. Paul's Choir School with I Sing a Maiden from Christmas in Harvard Square.
That was the boys of St. Paul's Choir School with I Sing a Maiden from Christmas in Harvard Square. Since 1963, St. Paul's Choir School has formed and educated boys in grades 4 through 8 in the great cathedral school tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. As well as a challenging curriculum steeped in the Catholic faith and moral tradition, the students are given rigorous musical training. This year, the boys of St. Paul's Choir School have released their first album, Christmas in Harvard Square, which we've been listening to. And to tell us more, we are now joined by the school's director of music, John Robinson. John, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. So I I gave a little bit of an introduction of of the school, but can you tell us a bit more about the school? Who's it for? The the school is the only boys Roman Catholic choir school in America, so it's absolutely unique. Uh And it's a real gem, which is um, set up to sing this beautiful music in the church at St. Paul's for daily mass. Um, and it is that which is our primary calling, and of course, and that which um, brings the choir to become something really excellent and exceptional. And the new recording that we've just released, Christmas in Harvard Square, is really the first time I think people have been able to hear this unique and historic and beautiful Catholic music sound coming right from here in America. So it's a very special time right. for everybody. Now, can you can you give us a little more background? So at the great, it's. St. Paul's is a cathedral, and the school is attached to the cathedral. Is that how it works? Or it's St. A Paul's is actually a, a parish church. It's, it's a the parish. Harvard Catholic Chaplaincy. It's a regular parish, and uh-huh. it's also the home of St. Paul's Choir School. Right. So um, the cathedral schools, as you say, were set up to serve the music in the cathedrals. Mm-hmm. We're set up to serve the music here at St. Paul's Church, and it has many things in common with a cathedral. It has beautiful acoustics. It's mm-hmm. a really big church. It has beautiful interior um, decoration and plaster work and marbling and all of those good things and so the effect of that combined with the the singing is just a really beautiful offering we hope to to God every day at mass right and it's only grades four through eight so it's uh, the uh, sort of senior elementary students uh, how many students at a small school is it a boarding school it's a day school. It's a regular day school. So the boys right. travel in every day from uh-huh. the um, surrounding neighborhood, and they take a full range of academic subjects at the school every day. And yes, as you say, it's for grades four through eight. So when the boys arrive, they are very young, very inexperienced, and really we just um, look for boys who have the potential to thrive in such an environment. And when they leave us, of course, in the eighth grade, yes. their voices have begun to change. So there comes a point when they no longer sing in the choir, yes. but rather they do other things things they do altar serving they do reading in the church they do okay. um they sing as well when their voices are changing they're in a intermediary kind of choir called the scholar cantorum yes um but it's a very exciting time for the boys as they're all looking towards at that point looking towards high school of course and are these children that are looking to musical careers or liturgical music careers or where do they go to high school well, I think the thing that we emphasize to them is just to think about vocations of all sorts, really, and uh-huh. to um, be open to whatever it is God has in mind for them. Some do have careers in church music. Some, indeed, join the priesthood, which is always an absolute mm-hmm. blessing whenever that happens. We're so proud. Um, but often they will just transfer the things that they've learned with singing and music to be useful disciplines in other things. So I would say the majority go on to completely um, uh, you know, normal but excellent careers in, right. in things like medicine, law, you, know, Absolutely. They, you name it, anything. They're doing all sorts of things in, yeah. the, in the future. As any musician will attest, the musical training is useful in any career. Um, as Absolutely. you know, in Canada we have the St. Michael's Choir School, and oh, yeah, a lot of yeah. this, a lot of the students, because they learn uh, organ, 
And a lot yeah. of the organists actually went through the school. Is that also part of the musical training that is offered at your school? So all of our boys learn the piano, and uh-huh. then when we um, when they've had a good couple of years to um, to see how they take to that, because I think some people adapt to the keyboard better than others. And yes. We then we then offer them the option of the organ if they um, seem to be progressing quickly enough at the piano. It's the trouble is, of course, it's such an investment of time practicing the organ and being able mm-hmm. to, you know being able to get to an organ the, is yes, really exactly. challenging. Yes. But we have uh, three organs here at St Paul's that they can use to practice on if they become really interested in that. And we have had in the last two years or the last four years since I've been here, we've had two really superb organ scholars come through the school, one of whom is now at the Juilliard in New York studying uh-huh. organ there, and the other is our senior organ scholar at the church, and both of them are destined, I think, for careers as, as organists. They're absolutely unbelievably good, so, so that happens every few years, oh. and it's always great when it does. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's get to the album. Why, why record an album? Because it's just such a special sound here, and it's such an exciting sound. And um, it was at a really high point when um, the folks from Aim Higher Recordings yes. heard the choir, and they'd had their eye on the choir here for a number of years, and um, decided that it was starting to sound the right kind of way to make a really special Christmas album. And I think making a Christmas album makes great sense as a place to start, yes. and as a place to to um, build from, because of course Christmas is such a um, deep feast with so many different things going on historically with music. Mm-hmm. So of course nowadays we think of you know all these sort of secular things that play play um, ad nauseam in the shops but yes. the, the Christmas music that we sing on the recording is just such an incredibly rich offering of wonderful historical music through the ages um, as well as music arranged and composed very recently so I, I hope that it's going to be a chance to just share that with everybody and for people to be able to see that Catholic music is really extraordinary and we have this amazing heritage which um so many of our our um our documents in the church tell us that we ought to be preserving and treasuring so it's a great opportunity to do that really yeah it, you're right it, it's a beautiful collection of traditional uh, christmas christmas music um was it recorded in the in the church Absolutely it was, and so that, that was, was one of the part of the special point. things about it, that we were able to use the acoustic where the boys train every day and where they know how to sing best. Yeah. And so I think that's partly why it's such a special recording, because it really does capture that that um, sound of a boys' choir. And of course, with the boys' voice changing, it can mm-hmm. be a transient sound. It's a sound which changes from year to year. And it's like almost like a good wine that you know you have vintage years <laughs> and you have um, years that you want to capture or wish you could capture. So it was really kind of a dream come true that we were asked when we were asked to be able to make this recording. How did you pick the songs? Because I'm sure that there must be lots of other choices. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it was just really difficult to try and work out what not to do, given that there's just so much Christmas music that's so wonderful available. But in the end, we were just looking for a varied program that made sense and had enough variety to keep everybody listening all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that would be both familiar in certain cases, but also would bring new and exciting things, by which I mean old and exciting, you know, looking looking back to some wonderful um, polyphony there and some plain song that people might not be yes. aware of. But this really is the musical heritage of the Catholic Church. So to be able to share that with people is a very special feeling. Yes, you mentioned that, that some of the compositions are, are modern, and I know that the song we just we just played before the interview, I Sing a Maiden, was actually composed by you. Can you tell us a bit about that song? 
Yes, it's a it's a beautiful uh, medieval text from the 15th century, um, which has been set by a number of composers before. But I um, I envisaged it as a, almost a sort of meditation in which the words Maria come back over and over again. Right. And the um, the piece was designed to showcase the sound of the boy treble. So it has this soaring melody which gets higher throughout the first half of the piece, and then it reaches a kind of a climax, and then and then the second part of it sort of dips away again like a bit like an arch um, and I think that's true of a lot of the music on the recording that the composers had that sound of boys in mind when they were writing it mm-hmm. and so it makes the most of that um, very special transient sound you get from boys which is kind of pure but strong and it can be expressive it's so many different things it's very difficult to quantify how interesting and what a great opportunity to be able to have one of your compositions as part of this collection would 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 there ever be opportunities for the young students to have any of their compositions is that an opportunity for them to do that very much so i mean yeah. we we have a very rigorous music theory course here at the choir school which teaches them all about um, the nuts and bolts of writing music and then at the highest level of course it goes into stylistic composition which is where all composers begin their trade really the ability to write music that is in the style of other composers as with great artists you know you think about picasso and the way he would have been doing line drawing when he was this age yes. and trying to draw like rembrandt or you know like, like giora and, and it's very much the same with music that you you you'd coach pupils to write in the style of um, bark chorales and that kind of thing and once they can start to do that then then expressiveness and their own style starts to come out of that ability yeah, what a great opportunity. So I'm sure that the people in your community in Harvard and, and in the surrounding area are very familiar with, with your school and with your sound. And I'm sure that there's a Christmas concert, if it hasn't happened already, it's coming. That's right, yes. <laughs> the very much so. There's one on the 14th of December at 3 o'clock p.m. And then, of course, we really want people to come and share the Christmas liturgies with us here, which are at um, 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve. There's oh, a lessons and carol service. And then the first Mass of Christmas is at 7.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve as well. Yes, I guess that's the, that's the proper way to do Christmas music is in the Christmas liturgy. Um, thank you so much for, for those of us who cannot attend your liturgy or are not near for your concert, that we're able to experience a little bit of what you do through this uh, beautiful recording. Absolutely. Please do, yes. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. John Robinson is the music director of the St. Paul's Choir School. You can learn more about the school at their website, stpaulchoirschool.com. Their debut album, Christmas in Harvard Square, is published by Aim Higher Recordings. You can get your copy before Christmas at their website, aimhigherrecordings.com. Here now are the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School with O Come All Ye Faithful from Christmas in Harvard Square.
We're listening to the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School with O Come All Ye Faithful from their new album, Christmas in Harvard Square. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, if you're in Canada, every day for the last month, we've heard in the news about our military involvement in the war against ISIS. You may even be confused about ISIS. Is it ISIS, ISIL, IS, Islamic State? Who are they? Where did they come from? What do they want? What we don't hear in the news is how Christians are suffering in Iraq and Syria. And also, we don't hear a lot about what we can do to help. So to tell us more, I am now joined by Carl Atu. He is the Canadian Director for the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. That's the papal agency that supports the churches and the people of the Middle East, North Africa, India, and Eastern Europe. Carl, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Carl, first, can you clarify for our listeners, what is, I, I guess I'm going to call them IS, who are they? Yeah, IS, uh, you know, uh, the Islamic State, I think, is what everybody's using now, and I think we should uh, just stick with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, that group uh, emerged, uh, of course, uh, in a brutal way in front of our TV screens mm. or iPad or whatever means we're using to um, to see the brutality and the uh, strong emergence uh, over the summer, right? like uh, last June and all. Right. And, and suddenly it seems the world was saying, what is this ISIS? Uh, well, just to uh, go back a bit fur further down in the past, we've known about ISIS for over a year. Mm -hmm. They were in Syria. They were in northern Syria. They were already taking control of cities where Christians and other minorities were being told to leave or to convert. Um, there's many accounts of that, but the world stayed uh, mute, as if as if that was just another bunch of stuff happening in Syria. Right. Uh, we have a belly full of the people fighting between one another, but they've been there. And if we would have dealt with them mm -hmm. a year ago, maybe we would not be in that trouble today. So they call themselves Islamic State. Do they consider themselves to be a, a political state? That's exactly what they want. They, their, their purpose, and it's a coalition of different groups, mm -hmm. of different tribes, different rebel groups, some say they evolved from Al-Qaeda. Uh -huh. Some others say it's more like villages of, of tribes that had enough with uh, Shiites, which is the other Muslim grouping, and, and other groups. Mm -hmm. and, and so many people kind of decided to create this coalition that became the Islamic State with one particular leader. It is a Sunni-based, but a very radical a very fundamentalist approach to Sunni uh, uh, Islam. And so they decided that they would impose, because they knew that nobody would like to see an Iraq or Syria to be reorganized. So mm -hmm. they equipped themselves, the military, they have a lot of support from the outside, but also they manage by gaining control of cities to steal goods, money, gold, weapons, uh, infrastructures, medicine, uh, bullets, everything you want to build their capacity to impose themselves in a very strong fashion. So over a year, they got uh, themselves prepared for this year, and that's how they invaded 
uh, Iraq in a forcely uh, fashion, and they declared, this is now the territory we occupy. It is now a new caliphate mm-hmm. for the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. And so, as it should be, and we invite the world, Muslims, to join us in this fight to create this nest, if you want, of the pure Islamic kind of way life should be. And so that's that's what they, they, they're, right. they're claiming, and many people around the world are are going there fighting with them. Right. So if if you're not Muslim, uh, well, we can talk about that too, because I know that they, yep. they're also killing Muslims. But so this is affecting Christians in a particular way. It is, because wherever they are, uh, in any city, they will conquer. Uh, the rule is, here's our teaching, mm-hmm. here's our ideology. And if you don't fit into this ideology, uh, if you do not convert. So if you're not a Muslim, to start with, mm-hmm. just the basic. So if you're a Yazidi, you know, the sect group that lives in Iraq uh, for over uh, two, yes. 3,000 years, or you're Christian, of course, uh, you're the first victim because uh, you need to convert or you will be exterminated. Mm-hmm. That's as simple as that. They say you'll pay a tax, but that's that's a kind of a uh, allure. There's no tax. It's you you convert you, or you get out. Or you get and out. That's or you get out, and that's bit what's been happening. So, na- uh, sorry, I yeah, was going to ask you about just the. Is it fair to say that the Christian population in Iraq and Syria has been decimated? Like there are none left. Well, uh, they they in Iraq. Uh, over the last 10 years or so, we saw the Iraqi Christian yeah. population going down from over 1 million to last year 300,000. Uh-huh. What we've uh, heard, uh, and people have left, uh, many have been killed, but the grand majority have basically left Iraq, right. forced to leave Iraq. Yes. Uh, now, in the last year, we say there's about 150 to 200,000. Uh-huh. Out uh-huh. of that, there's about 150,000 that are on the run. Uh-huh. Okay. In Iraq. In Iraq. And so that means they are uh, displaced in Iraq, or right. they are refugees in uh-huh. Turkey, in Jordan, yes. in Lebanon. Yes. And so, so the situation of the Christians of Iraq is really, really bad, because there's only maybe 50,000 mm-hmm. uh, in Baghdad or Kirkuk or Erbil that have not been displaced. But their bags are ready in case the ISIS is coming to their town. Right. And so... so uh, it is a bad situation for the Christians. In Syria, it's a bit different because the ISIS is fighting with other rebel groups that are also Islamic, right. that are fighting against the Assad Syrian yes. regime. And there are a multitude of groups, some say over a thousand different groups of uh, different rebels groups that are fighting Assad and also fighting one another. Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. decided to join the ISIS, and that's why the ISIS we hear in the news uh, now that they are in the northern part of Syria, the yes. part where the Syrian regime uh, is no longer controlling. And mm-hmm. so it's a battle between ISIS and other rebel groups, and now, of course, with uh, some local, like the Kurds, like this uh, Kabuni near Turkey, yeah. uh, where there's this uh, war uh, that is uh, happening now. But the Christians in this whole region basically have left. Uh, they uh, they are not welcome there. So, they're not so I, got this, I got testimony from priests uh, and Christians where, where as soon, a year ago, a year ago, when the ISIS came there and took control, they were told the same thing as in Mosul last June. If you do not convert, right. uh, you know, we will take care of you. And, and the people left. Yeah. They left. So the job, yeah. the job of, of Kanewa, the Catholic Near East Welfare uh, Agency, is to support the Christians in the Middle East, among other places. So what, yes. can, what can you do? What have you been doing? 
Well, the uh, our job is is to 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 walk with the Christian, is to walk with the church, is to ensure that there's a uh, an historical presence uh, continues. And Christians have been there before Islam, mm-hmm. uh, over two thousand years ago now, and they've been living with Muslims for the last fourteen hundred years. And mm-hmm. it's been good times, bad times. Right now, there's good and bad because many Muslims are also affected by this. And so there's great stories of Muslims and Christians together that are working for a better world. And Kenewa is working with the local church. Um, many, uh, many uh, religious uh, sisters, I'll uh, give you the, the example of the Dominican sisters of Iraq, mm-hmm. who were kicked out of Mosul, who are refugees in their own countries and are working in 25 different dispensaries helping refugees. Wow. And uh, this is like amazing. So we help them. We we fundraise money in North America, in the United States, and in Canada in particular. We also work with them. They tell us what the needs are, and we will support the, the medicine level, uh, a lot of housing that is required, and other needs, clothing, soaps, hygiene, right. and you know, and all those things. So so we work directly with the local church. With the lo- yeah. They have great leadership to ensure that they go through this crisis. And once the crisis is over, we will help them to reestablish themselves in their old villages or wherever they will be. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's ready to accompany them wherever they are to, to continue to be a vibrant church, even though it go, it's going through really hardship right now. And, right. and that's why we're helping, helping them doing that and, and uh, hoping that the people of North America will help us right. through that. Well. So obviously you need money, but other than money, and, and we're going to tell people how they can donate, uh, is there yeah. any other anything else that we in North America can do to support the work of Kanewa and the Christians in the Middle East? Yes, I think one way is um, to tell our respective governments mm-hmm. uh, in Canada, in the United States, that of course, and I think the Pope has spoken on this. We, you cannot, uh, you cannot go within uh, without impunity. When you kill people, when you destroy cities and culture and and everything else, you cannot go without impunity. You, you know, you ca- you can't do that. And so, it is a good thing that we. There's a kind of coalition trying to stop the atrocities that the Islamic State is doing. At the mm-hmm. same time, though, let's not forget that this whole issue is a political one. There needs to be a diplomatic solution to all of what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ISIS is present because the inefficiency and the weakness of the Iraqi government to form a strong government. Instead of that, the Shiites and Sunni have been fighting things over with the Kurd, and their weakness have created a space for ISIS to show up. So there needs to be a diplomatic solution as well, because once the ISIS is gone, if they are gone, uh, we need to deal with those unresolved issues, and that can only be done through diplomacy. So our own respective government needs to also, through the UN, the United Nations, and and, uh, and the local uh, powers there, to help find a solution where there's dialogue and there's peace. Without that, there's going to be conflict and wars in the Middle East like it is in Syria right now for mm-hmm. many years to come. So I think we need to remind our government, our members of uh, senators or, or, or a member of parliament, that they need to, to be to be putting that as a priority as well. Okay. And so that's one aspect. Yeah, okay. It. Well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, it, it, I'm sure that uh, it's going to be interesting also with the Holy Father visiting Turkey at the end of the month. It's going to be draw a lot of attention to how the church can be involved and in our prayers because that's one way that we can support them. Carl, um, thank you so much for 
bringing light to this issue and uh, um, I encourage everyone to go visit Kanewa and uh, I'll let you know how you can do that shortly and support the work that you do. So thank you so much for being with us today, Carl. Thank you for having me. Yes. Carl Etu is the National Director for the Catholic Near East Welfare Association in Canada. You can learn more about Kanewa and how to support their work at kanewa.ca if you're in Canada and kanewa.org in the United States. So kanewa at C-N-E-W-A dot C-A in Canada and C-N-E-W-A dot O-R-G in the United States. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Rebecca Rubion with Yahweh from her new album, Christmas Light. This season, find a reason to spread some joy. This season, find a reason that reason is a little
That was Rebecca Rubion with Yahweh from her new album, Christmas Lights. This past November 18th, Nashville-based artist Rebecca Rubion released her third album, a Christmas album titled Christmas Lights, and has launched a tour that has her singing Christmas songs all over the United States. The album includes eight tracks, four of them original ones, and if you're a fan of Rebecca's velvety, jazzy sound, you won't be disappointed. I get a new Christmas album every year, and this is definitely my pick this year. And so I am very happy to welcome Rebecca Rubion back as our featured artist. Rebecca, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, Pedro. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you. You're so sweet. Um, Why did you want to record a Christmas album? Oh, gosh. Well, really, why not? I'm, (laughs) um, I'm such a fan of... Christmas uh, and also Christmas music and just that nostalgia mm-hmm. of those songs that we've all grown up with and um, just the feeling of um, the feeling of Christmas and kind of the um, childhood memories and things that right. it, it kind of evokes in me. Right. And I've actually um, just since the birth of my career. Uh, steadily, I've written Christmas songs um, uh-huh. just kind of through the years, and I've always wanted a chance to put something together, but I thought, okay, you know, that definitely won't come around until later in my career. Right. And then um, signing with the label this summer, we were talking about just some opportunities uh, for some Christmas songs, and um, they asked if I had any Christmas material, and I was like, I do, and so we just got in the studio in July and cranked out <laughs> another record in right. um, just a couple of weeks, and so I've been ready to say Merry Christmas since July. Since July, how how strange is that? So you, so the four songs that are your original ones, you've been writing throughout the years. You didn't sit Correct. down to specifically write for this album. Um, I'm curious, what was what, you grew up? You grew up in Alabama, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I grew up in Mobile, and I was born in New Orleans, and that's really where both of my uh, sides of my family are right. uh, are from originally. What so. was what was Christmas like growing up? Oh gosh, well I'm one of five kids, and I'm the second oldest, so we would always um, one of our family traditions is uh, listening to. Um, there are a couple of Christmas compilation records that my parents. Yeah, have and we would listen to those and um, all put up decorations, all seven of us. And right. um, my mom is like the typical American mom with like all of the little knickknacks and stuff she puts out for Christmas. So we did the real, we did real evergreen, we did real um, Christmas trees every year, mm-hmm. and we would use all of the spare branches around the house on the mantle, and so just a really um beautiful kind of family gathering um, when we would all decorate the house together. And then, of course, Christmas morning is a little chaotic with all my siblings um, and extended family. And we always make a big Christmas meal on Christmas Eve. Mm. And um, my mom has her Christmas china and just kind of all all of those beautiful little traditions that um, we always did. So really special time. What were the compilation? What was the music that you were listening to? I'm curious now. Oh gosh, um, well they were all classics. 
like um, Nat King Cole stuff, exactly, Bing Crosby. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say Nat King Cole was all over it. Yeah, um, and Bing Crosby. Yes, and um, just kind of those that era. Yeah. And um, I think even Cindy Lauper did oh, yeah. <laughs> Winter Wonderland or, uh-huh. or one of those. Um, but just a really, really great. I actually need to look up the name of That's the great. Um, compilation because, I mean, I want my own copy. Yeah, um, you should. You should. Um, you picked, so, so the album, your Christmas Lights album, you picked four Classics: Silent Night, What Child Correct. Is This, we, which we heard, Joy to the World, and Go Tell It on the Mountain. I'm assuming you picked those because you have some sort of connection to those songs. Why did you pick those four? Well, um, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick yeah. uh, when you're when you're trying to decide which Christmas cover songs to do um, for several different reasons. One, they're all so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you? Where do you start? Um, but also, just how do you do them justice? Mm-hmm. And which ones are the ones that you think could, you could make your own? Joy to the World was something that, um, especially my version of it, I kind of changed the melody just a, a little bit and yeah. make it my own, I think, probably the most. Um, and that was a, a cover song that I've been doing for years mm-hmm. around the holidays. Um, so I did that one because I kind of already had it in my repertoire. What Child Is This? Um, I was trying to choose between that song and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yeah. And I actually posted on my fan page on Facebook and asked the fans, which yeah. one would you rather me put on the record? And it was kind of a unanimous. Yes. I think only two people replied with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. and. It was like over a hundred. Yes, um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you picked. Yeah, I'm so glad you went with "What Child Is This." That, that's that's me too. Much better. Um, and then "Silent Night" and "Go Tell It on the Mountain." I just always, um, always love kind of the message of "Go Tell It on the Mountain." Yeah. And then, in my opinion, I think "Silent Night." This is the best song ever written, ever. <laughs> Amazing. Um, One of the things I love about Christmas is that all of a sudden we can listen to Christian music on secular radio. Do you do you do you see this album as a Christian album? I mean, you didn't pick Jingle Bells. <laughs> um, it, it is. You know, it's a Christmas Christmas yes. um, album, and it's it's very much even my originals point to the meaning of Christmas, yeah. especially, um, uh, for example, A Lot to Give is yeah. it's kind of about, it's a, not not the material gifts that we have to give, but the love in our hearts and mm-hmm. the joy, and um, Christmas Lights is about the hope of yeah. Christmas and kind of what those lights symbolize, right. you know, talk about the North Star and the, the white glow of Mary's heart, and... Um, Yahweh, clearly. And Yahweh, of course, is <laughs> yeah. about um, the reason we give gifts is because, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord gave us His Son, and mm-hmm. what more could we ask? I mean, that's the perfect gift. And yeah. so, um, you know, these songs really reflect, I feel that the purpose of the record was to reflect the real meaning of Christmas and just kind of point people back to the heart of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, in such a culture where, you know, we we are constantly being sold things. Right. And here, this is the perfect gift for your special someone. And, 
you know, all about the presents or all about the um, merrymaking and, and, you know, less about why, right. why we're doing this in the first place. And so, you know, um, I'm really excited. I, I think it, I, I view all of my music as, as ministry, whether mm-hmm. that's covert yeah. or overt. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. I also, yeah, I just want to bring people joy. Yeah. Which is why I, I guess you've decided to take this on tour. So just so that people know, you're going to be, you've already started the tour, but December 2nd, you're in San Antonio, December 3rd in Waco, Texas, December 5th in Dallas, December 6th in New Orleans, December 7th in Austin, Texas, December 19th, you're in Laurel, Mississippi, and then on December 20th, you're at home, Mobile, Alabama. So if people are in any, near any of those cities, you should go for, a, treat yourself to a Christmas a Christmas, a Christmas concert. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also playing Nashville December 14th. Oh, there you um, go. I miss Nashville. My, my home base here in yeah. Nashville, so that'll be a fun show. Excellent. Why did you want to do, I mean, I know t- tours, not all artists love touring. It's, a, it's, it, it's tiring. It's a lot of work. But y- you, you call what you do ministry, so is that part of why you wanted to take this on the road? Well, um, that is definitely part of why. The other part is um, just whenever you release a record as an artist, you really want to tour right. on that record to kind yeah. of generate buzz, increase awareness, increase your exposure, and just get the record out there yeah, in course. the hands of people, not just on iTunes, um, but handing it to them and giving them the experience of that record. Right. In now, person, is it um, is it like a bona fide Christmas concert? You're doing these songs and other stuff. These songs, um, and I'll also mix in some some other originals yeah. from my other records. Right, right. And you're touring with a band, or just me? Um, there's, really? There are a couple shows where I'll have accompaniment. Of course, in Nashville, I'll have um, some of my players come out for that one, and then. In Mobile and Laurel, Mississippi, those are theater shows, and that will be a special jazz trio for those nice. two. Um, some really wonderful musicians uh, yeah. based in Mobile, and um, so that'll that'll actually be really unique and yeah. special too. Nice. It's too bad I'm going to be in Dallas December twentieth. So can you change your dates no way. just for me? You can't change. Ah, I wish I could. I love <laughs> Dallas. I'm excited to get to this. And That'll be I fun. Wish, I, I wish I could play for you. Oh, well, one day it'll happen. Um, Rebecca, thank one. you so much. I love the, Well, I love what you do. I love this album. Like I said, this is my pick for this Christmas um, as, as my Christmas album of the year. So I hope people, uh, people also enjoy it. And, uh, and, and it's important that we you know, celebrate Christmas the way it should be celebrated. So thank you so much for, uh, for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, and um, I I just thank you for helping me spread the joy. Not a problem. You can find out more about Rebecca Rubion. You can buy her music. You can buy this album or book her to come to your event at her website, RebeccaRubion.com. Rubion is R-O-U-B-I-O-N, but I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Rebecca Rubion with the title track of this new album, Christmas Lights. Christmas lights signify all the hope that is there, all the love that we've shared through the years. 
Christmas lights They delight in each gift we unfold Every story we've told with good cheer Listening to Rebecca Rubion with Christmas Lights from her new album of the same name. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and reach out to me through Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Tonight.